Mysteries and Mixology. Okay. Does it say recording on your It says recording. Welcome to the first episode of Mysteries and Mixology. Where your two slightly (laughs) drunk hosts are going to laugh all the way through and will aim for somewhere between drunk history and my favorite murder, but fall short of both. It's the marriage of those two, but it's going to be an unsuccessful marriage. (laughs) I'm really unhappy. Really, I am like a quarter of the way through this drink and I am... You know, I am, my faculties are, are completely intact and I'm doing incredibly well. My name is Natalie, for anyone who happens to be listening. All two of you. All two. And I'm Abby. Hi, Mom. Hi, Sophia. You're probably half of our listeners. Oh my God, you're expecting we get four listeners? <laughs> I'm expecting two of your family members to listen. That is very generous. <laughs> So just to explain for anyone who is listening who might not have been told this directly by us, this is, as Abby said, kind of a mix between drunk history and my favorite murder. We're big true crime people and big true crime people. We love to talk about it and we often just talk about it on our own. And, and we, we need often- a, a little alcohol to cope <laughs> with the darkness. <laughs> yep. Cope with the darkness. We are also uh, recording this the end of 2020 which is a year that you know does require some alcohol just in general oh yeah you know place us in space and time (laughs) it won't always be 2020 that's a good reminder for your mental health it won't always be 2020 two more weeks and it won't be 2020 yeah but then it'll be 2021 and that's a scary (laughs) thought (laughs) it can't be as bad there's no way i mean The Titanic can't sink. Like, it could be. It could be as bad, Natalie. The Titanic can't sink. It could be just as bad. It could be worse. Like, it might not go well for us. I'm a a little scared. 2020 for me was marginally better than 2019. Objectively, how the world is doing, it's a lot worse. But for me personally, it has been slightly, slightly better. So I, I figure it can only go up from here. That's a really optimistic perspective, and I'm going to stick with you on that. I would also say I think my 2020 was better than my 2019. So, yeah, yeah, that sounds that sounds like an optimistic, good perspective. Um, but also, we were in like exceptionally formative years of our life, going through college. Right. You would really hope that it only went up. That's what I'm saying. Like now, Natalie, is this the peak? <laughs> This can't be the peak, Abby. If this is the peak, what? How could it how could it get worse? It could. We can only wait and find out find here this. on Mysteries and Mixology. We will tell you how bad it gets. You'll be right there with us. Quite literally. And the worse it gets, the more we're gonna need to talk about murder. And the more interesting drinks we're gonna drink. Exactly. Speaking of which, what are you drinking, Natalie? Very good question. So this week, uh, I've never had this before. It's called Jack's Hard Cider. I will say it's not my favorite cider, but it does the job. (laughs) Um, It's by a company called Atomic Dog, which I do like. And I got this from my bodega. And helping me at the bodega was quite helpful, almost too helpful, I will say. Mm. Uh, Interesting. He had a lot of thoughts about what alcohol I wanted to get. Well, he can keep his thoughts to himself. I wouldn't could buy your own alcohol. I was also kind of like, please step away, sir. It is a pandemic and I do not know you. Yeah. Yeah, that's very reasonable. Yeah. That's How very reasonable. What are you drinking today? I am drinking 
a very weird drink that I threw together with what I had lying around, which strangely enough was lychee juice. I don't know why. I have that lying around? I did. I saw it at Whole Foods once and I was like, I think I should own this. And I bought it and then I hadn't opened it. So I saw it when I was thinking about my cocktail creations and I picked it up and poured it in a glass along with some lemon lime soda and a hearty pour of vodka. And here we have a drink. And then I have a second drink ready to go, lined up, uh, prepared for the recording. So when you hear a bottle being opened, know that that is me getting ready to keep drinking. And what is the standby drink? The standby drink is a lovely peach canned wine. It is an Italian wine, the finest that comes from a can. (laughs) You know, if if it's from Italy and it's in a can, I mean, you really can't do better than that as far as wine goes. That's true. And it was four whole dollars at Trader Joe's. So not a single can. A pack of them. (laughs) It can't be bad if it's from Trader Joe's. I stand by that. That is very, very honest. I opened a pack of white chocolate peppermint pretzel thins that I bought there. And I bought them on a whim, just like a, I like snacks. Like, yeah. I should buy these. I should consume these. And they were fantastic. I ate the whole bag in one day. Yeah. And then I was concerned for my health. And then I immediately only ate vegetables. So it was a really balanced day. It all balances out. As long as you eat enough vegetables to balance out the entire pack of, of <laughs> chocolate-covered snacks, that's what being an adult, we're learning. You know, this is adult life. It's just 22-year-olds coping. 22-year-olds coping. I will say I have to learn not go to Trader Joe's when I'm hungry because I've done that the past three weeks and I come back and then I present my findings to my roommate and she says, Natalie, why we don't need any of this? I say, yeah, "Yeah, but it could be fun. Yeah, I feel that. I always get two to three bags of peanut butter pretzels and I usually buy three and those are great. For like a span of two weeks, which is too many peanut butter pretzels to eat in two weeks, but they're delicious. It's like a bag a week, though. That's not unheard of. It's like a bag and a half a week. <laughs> and anytime I buy just two bags, I'm disappointed. So now I've learned I just need to buy three right. bags. And you, that's important, too, is just being realistic with yourself. You know yourself. You know where you're at. Three bags of pretzels is where you're at. It might change. Three bags of pretzels is where I'm at. And it's a good place. Sounds also, great. the other day, I unprompted told the Trader Joe's cashier that I think it's absurd that they sell the unsalted ones. <laughs> you were like, this is BS. I gotta tell you. Yeah, and the cashier gave me just the strangest look. I wonder it was, why, because that's so normal. To be fair, it was out of the blue. We had been silent the whole transaction. <laughs> and he scanned the pretzels, and I was just like, you know, I think it's, a, I, I think it's crazy. It's absurd that you sell the unsalted ones. And like I kind of, are you talking are you talking to me? <laughs> pretty much. And I kind of wish I had adopted my uh, father's turns of phrase just for that one conversation because had it been my dad in line, he definitely would have said something like only a godless communist would buy the unsalted pretzels. <laughs> he would have said that and it would have been incredible. Yeah. You should so get your dad on the podcast. Should we? <laughs> One of the funniest things my dad has said to me in recent months was we were playing this card game. You've played it. It's called Oh Hell. Oh, yeah. And my dad looks down at his cards and he goes, 
he, he wasn't sure what card to play or something. I don't know. And my dad goes, I'm so tense right now. You could shove a dime up my ass and I could tell you the year it was minted. <laughs> so that's, that's the level of discourse I'm on with my father. So and what better person to have on this podcast where pretty much all bets are off because we are drinking and we are talking about some of the things that you're not really supposed to talk about mm-hmm. and enjoy talking about. So I feel like, well, they're so fascinating. They're so fascinating. They're so fascinating. Like, I'm so pumped about the one I, I'm, I prepared for today. Like, Do so I know? Pumped. Is it one that you've told me about before? It is one I've told you about before. Oh, okay. I'm very excited. I am extremely excited about mine. We have discussed this, you know, not on a podcast before, but I love this story. I have written a short story about this incident. I am completely fascinated by it. So I think this is going to be a pretty hard episode to be. I don't know if we're ever going to, this might be the peak. <laughs> peak in episode one. Coming out about to peak. very strong. We'll bring one. them all in, bait and switch. <laughs> bait and switch, and then we never, ever meet their expectations again. That's perfect. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I'm really aiming for. Yeah, I think that's an ideal scenario. We'll just, this one will be golden. We'll mm-hmm. never live up to it. I love it. Because you really, you know, you don't want to set your sights too high. I think one incredible episode is a pretty good goal. And then we may be happily surprised by our genius next time. That's, once again, extremely optimistic. (laughs) But I love it. (laughs) So we haven't discussed the order, but who wants to go first? Do you have strong feelings? I do not have strong feelings. I'm happy either way. I'd be happy to go first. I'd be happy to go second. We need like we need we need a Steven. <laughs> I'm pretty sure both of our stories are really dark, so I'd say like, ah, yeah. oh, is one of them a closer? But no, I will say mine is not. You know mine. It's not as dark. I think. I mean, there are no deaths in my story, as far as we know. <laughs> Foreshadowing. Weird. Foreshadowing. <laughs> I don't know if there are deaths in your story. Yes. Uh, okay. In fact, nine of them. Oh, okay. I know which one this is. I am pumped. Here's another question. How how tipsy are we feeling right now? Um, I did not measure the vodka I poured into this, and I probably should have. <laughs> Consequently, pretty tipsy. <laughs> and I got a second one ready to go. So, so I will say, I will not make it to a second one, and I know that about myself, because I have the tolerance of someone who's never had a sip of alcohol in their life. This is 5.5% alcohol by volume. I am not halfway through, and I am really, really feeling it. So That's impressive. My second drink is 8% ABV. <laughs> and this drink is mystery ABV, but probably higher. That's the fun part. See, mysteries, I mean, how much vodka is Abby drinking? That's one of the mysteries. Biggest mystery of all. God, I hope not. <laughs> I really hope we can pull together stories more mysterious than how much alcohol went from the Tito's container into this cup. I mean, it's a real puzzle and I'm, I'm fascinated by it. So one time my cousin, this was Christmas, and my cousin looks at this bottle of Tito's my family has, and he's pouring himself a drink. And he looks at the bottle of Tito's and he goes, we should take off the fun stopper. And we're all like, the hell are you talking about? And he's like, the fun stopper, we should take it off. And he was referring to that plastic piece that sits on top that makes it so there's like free independent Right. So that means I'm just gushing Gushing. the top. Yeah. Yeah. He meant take that out. And I don't think I've ever laughed harder. I mean, he has a point. 
it does stop the fun a little bit. And it was a family Christmas. <laughs> what is what is a family Christmas without everyone being drunk out of their minds? I mean, in my family, that just wouldn't that wouldn't happen. No. I wouldn't know what to do. I will say, my family doesn't really get drunk at Christmas, but my family. I mean, we do. I mean, my family is Jewish, so when we get drunk, it's Passover because at Passover, you finish your drink every five seconds, and you're drinking Manischewitz, which it's like every five minutes, realistically. And it's like a small glass of wine, but it's very sweet wine. So you do not understand how much you're drinking until it's the end and you are drunk out of your mind. That sounds fun. It's incredible. I am Catholic. So from at the age of seven, they're like, yeah, drink some wine during this mass. Have a sip. We don't care. Um, Yeah. But I don't know if the rest of Catholic families uh, like to drink alcohol the way we do. They really take that advice from the church and run with it. My my parents are very good at that. Um, we don't get drunk, but, you know, we start Christmas morning off with a Christmas morning mimosa, move on to whatever yeah. the lunch drink is. Then, yeah. you know, once it's the afternoon, you have to have a beer. Yeah. And then you have to have a Christmas, like a, a Christmas dinner drink. Of course. And an after dinner drink. And so, so is know, this going to happen in like a week for you? Is this going to be your Christmas? Oh, totally. Totally. And so you're never, like, extremely drunk at any point. You're just a little tipsy throughout the day. Because it's very spaced. It's very spaced. Yeah, it just carries it's, you through the day. I mean, it's almost healthy. <laughs> I'm going to come off I think you should operate like that every single day. Definitely not. Yeah. It's great for Your work. liver would die. Please do not yeah. do that. Um, it just occurred to me, should we give any background about, like, who we are or how we, you know, know each other? That's one of the mysteries. Is that one of the mysteries? Uh, I think we should give a little bit of background. A little bit of background? Okay, so we are both from a small town in Connecticut. We went to high school together, went to middle school together. And there are some pretty good mysteries from our town. There's a nice high security prison in our town. Right by one of the schools. (laughs) Right by one of the schools. Actually, kind of right by two of the schools. Dangerously close if there's an escape. My brother delivered pizzas to the prison once. I think to the security guards in the prison. Yeah, I'd figure it's hard for a prisoner to order pizza. <laughs> I don't know. One if would imagine do that, right? When you're in a high security prison. Wow. So we got to go oh, yeah. inside the walls of the prison. I'm not entirely sure. I'll have to get some more details from him. Yeah, please. Maybe do. he'll That's be a amazing. guest on the podcast. That sounds great. Is that enough backstory? <laughs> I think that's enough more information. I think that's a good amount of backstory. And now you know we've both. I guess moved away from that town mm-hmm. to but different cities. It's a tragedy. Different cities. It's really sad. Although I may move to Abbey City at some point in the future, that is my hope. And I would love that. That would make my life. <laughs> so eventually, maybe in the same city. But we're both recent college graduates, and we love true crime. So we're excited to have this built-in time to discuss something that we are very passionate about and also have some nice drinks while we do it. Yeah, it definitely adds to it. Because if you're drinking, like, your inhibitions are like, I don't care if people know that I like true crime. (laughs) Oh, I fully, I've abandoned, I used to be scared about it. Now I, I've thrown that out the window. I do not care anymore. You know that John Mulaney where someone's like, is this perfume or alcohol? And he's like, he's like, and apparently I took it, downed it and said, it's perfume. (laughs) that's yeah. the level we'll achieve someday <laughs> probably not hopefully not i can't wait to be there 
God, I can't wait. No, I've, I discussed it at work recently. Like not, you know, I didn't let them into the full extent of my obsession, but I did. We were discussing the death penalty. And so of course I had to, it, it was my time to shine. So <laughs> I, I let them know how much I know about prison sentences and and truth and sentencing and, laws yes exactly and wait times for death row inmates <laughs> exactly and then you know i didn't get fired so i think i'm in the clear that's impressive um my coworker does not like true crime mm-hmm. not at all so i don't talk about it with him i'm sorry that you it's can't a, discuss this in your daily life it's a little sad but that's why we have a podcast and that's why, why we have late night wikipedia binges yes that is true Late night Wikipedia, late night Reddit, late night. Oh my god, favorite night murder benches. So real. Oh my gosh, how many hours? Or it's not hours. It's tracked by minutes on Spotify. Spotify. How many minutes of podcasts did you listen to this year? I know it was not as many as yours because you sent me yours. But let's see. Oh yeah. Well, mine was like thirty-five thousand minutes, which is over twenty days, which is concerning. Over that's wow. I mean. But I guess if you think about it in the context of the year as a whole, I spent 10,827 minutes listening to podcasts this year. That's still very impressive. But I will say, if we hadn't been sent home from school, I listened to podcasts a lot at my job, and it probably mm. would have doubled or even tripled. But I did, obviously, my top was my favorite murder, and I, I binge listened to six episodes in one day, which seems like, honestly, not that much. I binge listened to 18 in a day. <laughs> What day was this? I what think it honestly like, might have been a couple days. And I think it might have like, been all like... All the way through the night. Yeah. Well, there was... It was all the way... Like, it was through most of the day. Because I, like, wasn't doing much that day. I think it was just, like, you know, cleaning. Maybe, like, drawing or doing something artistic. Where I was just, like, listening to podcasts for a while. Mm-hmm. And then I fell asleep to it. And I think all of that combined, it was, like, you know, 7 or 8 a.m., <laughs> All the way till whenever my phone lost battery at night. I'm impressed. Thank you. I will never, ever judge. I will only be impressed at the sheer amount of, of podcasts. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Same here. Thank you. So did we decide mine's first because um, more people die? Is that going to be our let's, metric? Let's yours first. More, the more people that die, no. that person goes first. Also, I should, I feel like we should let people know we're trying to pick stories that have, like, a mysterious angle to them. The premise of the podcast. Yeah. So, we're going for things that are either unsolved or, before they were solved, were still, like, very mysterious or considered to be cold cases before they were solved. Or had something interesting. Oh, go for it. No, just had a lot of different theories that were considered. Yeah. A lot of speculation. Yeah, speculation, even if one was determined to be the cause, we can always go back and say, what, I mean, do we agree with what the powers that be determined to be the actual cause? Do we think that one of the other theories has more merit? We can decide. We have the power to do that. We do. And also, I just really like unsolved cases. Mm-hmm. They're so interesting to yeah. me. Um, and like and mysterious happenings. I'm not exceptionally interested in supernatural events, mm-hmm. but I do find like, mysterious occurrences especially ones that might have a true crime lens or like yeah. something like that to be really interesting i i agree i think it's almost i mean i i am sometimes interested in the supernatural occurrences i don't know if i believe in ghosts but 
I think that the ones that are clearly not supernatural are almost more interesting because, I mean, you have to think that, you know, a human did something and totally. how do you, human behavior is so fascinating and confusing and difficult to explain. So totally. We do have two very, very interesting mysteries for the first ones we're doing. I think so. So I'm going to be talking about the Diet Love Pass incident, which I'm so pumped about. It's so interesting. This is an incredible story. It's so interesting and so fascinating in so many ways. It has like scientific angles and just like, ah, it's just really, really fascinating. Okay. So this incident, this mystery, this enigma, if you will. It is. It's an enigma. This is one of the most fascinating, I will say, one of the most fascinating stories that I've ever heard. It's so interesting. It's just, there's so many just like crazy twists and turns. Yeah. So it occurred in the Northern Ural Mountains in Russia, well, in the Soviet Union at the time. And the Ural Mountains are their mountain range that run north to south on the western side of Russia. So from the sea at the north, I think, all the way to Kazakhstan at the south. There's definitely a sea up there. I, water. Geography is the thing that I'm worried about. So I, sure, I believe anything that you say because I think that you absolutely know better than I do on this. There's a couple seas up there and I just don't know the names. But anyway, it's, it goes from, you know, water at the north all the way down to Kazakhstan at the south. And I looked up pictures of the Ural Mountains and they're super desolate and snowy, particularly the northern Ural Mountains, which is where this took place. So this happened in February of 1959. The expedition started in January, but the interesting event happened in February. So there was this guy, Igor Dyatlov, and he was leading a group of cross-country skiers on an expedition. So all the people were students from a local university called the Ural Polytechnical Institute. Igor was 23, and the rest of the expedition members were between 20 and 38 years old. Although the guy who was 38 was an outlier. Pretty much everyone was like 21, 22, 23-ish years old. There were 10 people total, two women, eight men. And they set out for their journey on the number five trail towards Mount Gora of Torton on January 27th. So on January 28th, one of the people, whose name was Yuri Yudin, had to turn back. He had some joint pain. I also think he had like a congenital heart condition of sorts. Okay. Uh, so he left the nine people on the trip. Yuri Yudin became the only survivor of the expedition, and he died later at the age of 75 in 2013. So the rest of the group, the nine remaining, just keep hiking. The group is hiking and cross-country skiing along until February 1st, which is when shit goes down. <laughs> this is when shit gets real. It does, and this is why there's a mystery. So... Worth keeping in mind, like, this timeline and order of events isn't 100% clear because, spoiler alert, I guess, they all died. <laughs> so no one could confirm that this is how it actually went down. That's what makes it a mystery. True. And that's what's so fascinating is, like, well, I do have a quick question. So Please. one of them survived. I mean, are there interviews or, you know, have, have there been documented conversations with him where they ask him what happened? A ton. So he did not survive the event that I'm about to describe. He, you know, bailed from this trip before the incidents that are interesting. He survived the expedition, but he didn't experience this incident. He, okay. he managed to get back to safety before this ever occurred. There is, uh, there are some interviews with him. 
there is a really interesting site that has an entire page dedicated to them. It's called, I think it's called like dietlovepass.com. If you just search like diet love pass incident, you'll totally find the website. It's okay. totally worth going through because there are pictures, maps, photos from the cameras they recovered, like journal entries, all sorts of cool shit. Wow. So there's a lot of information on this. Tons. So the story that I'm about to tell you has been pieced together entirely from the recovered cameras and journals that they found later when they, you know, did a rescue mission, an ill-fated rescue mission. But basically, uh, the expedition was aiming to hike over this pass, but they accidentally veered a little too far, I think, west. Um, so they veered too far west, and they ended up near the top of this mountain called Cullet Seekel. It's spelled K-H-O-L-A-T-S-Y-A-K-H-L. I looked up how to pronounce it, and I'm okay, pretty so sure I'm somewhat close. We are professionals. We look up how Trying to, to be. <laughs> and it's Cullet Seekel. Cullet Seekel, okay. So it was getting super late. Uh, so rather than just, like, getting to their intended destination or backtracking, which could have been dangerous in the dark, the group just set up camp right there on the side of the mountain uh, above the tree line. So led to believe this is a pretty high elevation, you know, a lot of exposure potential because it's February in the Soviet Union. <laughs> like it's cold on a mountaintop. Like, it, it's cold above the tree line. So at some point during the night of February 1st or early in the morning of February 2nd, it's unclear exactly what time this took place, but we know it was between six and eight hours after they ate dinner. So night of February 1st, morning of February 2nd. Something caused the hikers to cut their way out of their tent from the inside, but walk from the campsite. So they slashed their way out of this tent, cut their way out of this tent, and then walked from their campsite. It's so crazy. The hikers left while they were still in their like, sleeping clothes, so they were completely unprepared for a cold winter February night in the Earl Mountains. So that night, six of the nine hikers die of hypothermia. The other three succumbed to various injuries. Uh, of these, two died of chest injuries, and the other died of a skull injury. There is no evidence that there was any person besides these hikers in the area at the time. They were completely alone. And you'd probably and be able to tell from, like, footprints and stuff, right? And totally. There's also footage, like... I some of this would have been captured. They had cameras, they had, yeah, there were perfect tracks because it was snowy and like the snow didn't melt between the time they found their bodies and the time that this happened. So, you know, they would have had a very good record and there were no human footprints besides those belonging to the nine people and no animal tracks either, nothing. They were completely alone. And that's just the tip of the weirdness iceberg. That's one drop in the cocktail of weirdness. Like that is, very, one small element to this very thing. Very apt metaphor, Abby. Thank you. Thank you. So the hikers were supposed to return on February 12th, but when they didn't, no one was like super worried because they were hiking in the mountains. They were like, ah, maybe they set up camp for a couple extra days. Like maybe right. they found something, something interesting. Who knows? But on February 20th, by then people had gotten concerned. Right. Particularly, it takes a long time to be out in the cold wilderness. Yeah especially when they hadn't prepared for eight extra days. Like, right. People were getting concerned, particularly the families of the hikers. 
So at that point, they began a rescue mission. It wasn't until February 26th that the abandoned tent was found. And that was more than three weeks after the death of the hikers. Man. Yeah, it's crazy. So just adding a little more to this mystery, there were traces of radioactive material found on one of the people's clothing. Uh, the blows to the people who died of fatal injuries were allegedly too strong to have been inflicted by a human. These blows were also not consistent with any like external trauma. So no like blunt force trauma or hits to the body. Uh, they had no typical signs of fracture. It was as if they had been hit from the inside. It was like they died of internal injuries or like internal pressure injuries without any external damage or with minimal external damage. Fascinating. Every single detail about the story, you think that you kind of have an idea of where it's going and then a curveball is thrown in there, like 85 curveballs in the story. A thousand percent. <laughs> it's really interesting. And then some of the people were found lacking shoes and in almost no clothes while others were found like bundled in clothes, seemingly taken from others in the group, potentially after they died, but who knows? Also, the hikers were found in two groups. One group was right near the tree line in this like makeshift shelter that they tried to construct. These were the hikers that had almost no clothes and near them was the remains of a small fire they had built. The other group was the more substantially regret that I can speak. <laughs> This is maybe alcohol. the downside of the podcast <laughs> of alcohol. But that's the fun of it. That is the fun of it. The other group was more substantially dressed and found right near a creek. So that's the big question. What happened to these hikers? Right. Like, what caused them to flee their tents and die in the middle of the night? And what caused them to separate into two groups with very different yeah. tents, it seems. Yeah. They were found decently close together like in the same direction away from the tent, but it's still right. very, very odd. Yeah. So I'm going to list some theories, uh, and I'm going to list the theories in order of how much I like them. <laughs> From least interesting to most interesting to me. It is not at all based on how plausible I think they are, or any other metric. It's purely based on how much I like the theory. So the theory that I think is most plausible is actually like somewhere in the middle. I'll tell you when we get to it. Yeah. That's, that's how I'm going to order this. That's how this portion of the day is going to be structured. And that is the point of this, is not to discuss necessarily what is most likely, but to discuss what is most interesting to yeah. us, at least. Which one keeps you up at night. Right. And I will say the theory that I will discuss about my story is definitely not the most plausible, but it is the only one that I personally will accept. I like it. I like it. <laughs> So the first theory about what happened at the Diet Loss Pass incident, which I'll only mention briefly because I don't really want to give it the time of day, but people do think this, uh, is that they died by Yeti attack. <laughs> so there's this one photo that was recovered from one of the hikers' cameras where you see this big shadowy figure up in the trees. And like, it's just such bullshit because <laughs> the photo really looks so clearly like a slightly blurry photo of a guy in a bulky <laughs> coat and snow pants, which is what all of the hikers were wearing. He just moved a little and they're like, oh my God, it's a Yeti. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. It's like, ah, oh, you couldn't make out distinct human features? Yeti. But like, it, it looks like someone who's roughly as a, the height a human should be. Oh, that's not a Yeti. I don't not believe Yeti. in Yetis, but if there are Yetis, they're not human height. That's for damn yeah. sure. Or not should be, but they look like average height. Like the person, right, right. it looks like a person in a coat. 
So I think this theory's dumb. So move on to the next theory. I also don't love this one, but we're gonna say it anyway. The next theory is aliens. Always, you always gotta throw aliens in there somewhere. I always gotta throw aliens in there somewhere. (laughs) I think this one's pretty ridiculous too. Uh, People in nearby areas reported seeing like orange orbs in the sky. Uh, and some recovered photos from the hikers seem to show bright lights in the sky. Hmm. That's the whole theory. But those could, I mean, that could be something other than aliens. It and could it be anything. Most likely is. But I, I think we do have to remember, like, context. This was 1959. Right. So, like, you know, some space race stuff, I think, was beginning to happen at this point. Yeah, I think at 1959 Maybe. it was. So that was, you know, people were very tuned into the world of space. Yeah, yeah. I think, like, that's the time that there were a lot of space-based uh, cartoons and art and comics and... Right. So I think people... present in people's minds. Exactly. So, alien theory. Other people do theorize that they were attacked by a human or animal. This one's kind of interesting, but, like, there were no human or animal tracks near the tent besides those of the nine hikers. So, like, there's no good evidence for it. Possible. I'll admit it's a little more plausible than Yeti attacks or aliens. Still don't like it. Not as interesting. Not interesting. Uh, There were a few tribes in the general area, Mm -hmm. but they were all known to be very peaceful, and they were pretty far away, so it just doesn't seem realistic. And you would have seen the tracks. I mean, that's the thing that really makes it difficult to believe that it was caused by a human or an animal, is that you would have have seen at least some kind of track, or or the tracks of the hikers would have been messed up. Like, there would have been some indication. Yeah, I completely agree. So the next theory, and this was the one that was originally accepted by the Russian government, but pretty much everyone acknowledges to be completely false and unrealistic, is the avalanche theory. It's pretty dumb, uh, mostly because there were absolutely no signs of an avalanche. There was like untouched, pristine snow. There was no displaced snow, no displaced soil, or anything out of the ordinary or out of place. Uh, Ignoring that huge red flag, (laughs) There are also plenty of other reasons this theory is complete bogus, including the fact that footprints indicate that the hikers walked away from the tent after cutting out of it. They walked. If there were an avalanche, pretty sure you'd have some speed. Pretty sure you'd have some pep in your step. Like, you would not be walking. (laughs) It's not a stroll. It is not a stroll. Also, two of these people were, like, really, really experienced with expeditions. They knew what they were doing. They knew how to, like, set up camps and place their camps to avoid possible avalanche sites. They knew, like, what conditions made you at risk for an avalanche. So I think this one's bullshit. I don't think this holds water. Um, So scientists also conducted a geographic analysis of the general area and found that an avalanche wouldn't have impacted the site where the tent was pitched. It would have gone past them or around them. And no expedition before or since has ever reported an avalanche in the area. So that theory is, is pretty much BS. It's pretty much BS. Um, I do think it's mildly more interesting than Yeti aliens or people, which is why I put it where I did, but still not great. So now we're getting to the really interesting ones. Now we're getting to the top three. We're in the top three. And the next one I'm about to tell you is the one that I do think is the most plausible, although it is not my favorite. It's not in my top two. But I, I do, if you were to ask me, like, what do you think happened? Like, if I had to bet on what happened, this is what I would say happened. However, again, I just don't like it as much as the others, even if I think it's most likely what happened. 
So this is the military involvement theory. I think it's the most likely. It's just not my favorite because I don't think it's as like interesting to me. It's not as cool of an answer as the next, as the two answers after this. But basically, this is the theory that the group was impacted by nearby Soviet bomb tests, more specifically, the testing of parachute mines. So this theory involves the group hearing parachute mines and then feeling the need to exit their tent quickly and retreat into the forest because they were freaked out by the explosions, which right. totally makes sense. Like, you would exit your tent hastily if you heard nearby explosions. I think that, that part makes a lot of sense. So they think that after they got to the forest, uh, they all tried to make this little shelter and camp that some of the people were found in, but then a bunch of the group members died of hypothermia. So that's when they think the rest of the group took the, those people's clothes, and that's why they were found with less clothes on them, and then tried to retreat further into the forest, but then were killed when another parachute mine detonated over them. And apparently, I read up a bunch about this, and it's really interesting, because of the way it explodes over you and creates an intense like pressure and shock, apparently parachute mines cause the types of injuries that were seen on the victims where the damage is primarily internal and not external. Right, and there's no external proof of, of injury or of some kind of trauma to the body. Yeah, there's like very minimal bone fracture. All of the injuries seem like they came from the inside, like it was pressure-based. And that's the kind of thing you see in parachute mine detonation. It also could explain the orange orbs, like the orange glow, glowing orbs that people saw that made them think aliens. Right. It could have been Soviet bomb testing, which also would explain why, like, this case was like, oh, avalanche, open shut. Like, we're not going to look at this much more. And mm -hmm. why a lot of the, like, information about their internal organs is incomplete because the, the autopsy reports that are public they didn't give a lot of information about the damage to their internal organs because that could help confirm. Yeah, it seems pretty suspicious to me. It also could explain the radioactive material on one of the victims. Right, and only one of them though. That is odd. It's very strange. It could happen, maybe some weird like fall pattern. It, it, yeah. it seems like the most realistic way to explain that. Right. Um, I really think that this theory is the most realistic. It explains so much of the confusing and inconsistent evidence just in one neat little theory. And I totally see why it would remain unsolved despite that, because like, you know, the current Russian government probably doesn't want to cop to like yeah. all of these <laughs> Soviet parachute mine testing. Yeah, probably not. So if I were a betting man, <laughs> I would bet on this one. I, I do think it's this one. However, there's two more we're going to talk about. not a betting man. <laughs> I'm not a betting man. I'm not a betting woman either. Neither of them. So what are these top two theories, Abby? So here we go. Theory number two, the catabatic winds theory. So catabatic winds are these like really rare winds that only occur under a really specific set of perfect conditions that don't match the site of the diet log pass incident. These winds can get up to 190 miles per hour. So very fast, very damaging winds. And they can start really, really suddenly, and they're super, super cold. So it's possible that these winds force the hike. It's possible that these winds force the hikers to flee their tent, seeking stability, and like trying to get out of the wind and leave the wind. 
And that also could explain why they left the tent so slowly, because maybe they were trying to go fast, but they were like pushing against the wind. Right. Additionally, it is possible that the wind could have moved people around and caused some of the injuries experienced by the hikers. It seems a little less likely uh, than the parachute mines, but it's possible that it could cause some sort of internal injuries like the ones that we're seeing. So I think it's plausible. I wouldn't say it's as likely as the earlier one, but I think it's really interesting. It is very interesting. And my final <laughs> and favorite theory is the Carmen Vortex Street theory. It's awesome. So Carmen Vortex Street, it's so cool. Carmen Vortex Street is a special infrasound phenomenon that's known to induce intense anxiety and panic attacks in people. The theory is that the way this wind came around the mountains caused this infrasound to occur. So the hikers all of a sudden woke up, panicking, feeling incredibly distressed. Like the whole group fled their tent and ran to the cover of the trees. Not ran, still walked, <laughs> but you know, fled to the cover of the trees. Right. And then once they got there and they were out of the range of this infrasound, they were like, ah, shit, <laughs> we're stuck because they, you know, it was dark. Maybe they couldn't see their way back. They couldn't follow their tracks, whatever. So they built this little shelter, tried to start a fire, but ended up dying of hypothermia anyway. Still not super clear how the injuries would have occurred in this story, though maybe not the most realistic of all the theories, but I think it's absolutely fascinating just that there's a special frequency yeah. of sound. There's a special frequency of infrasound that makes you feel panicked and distressed. And this is a pretty well-documented phenomenon. There are different places across the world where this occurs. Um, I have to double check my facts on this, but I'm pretty sure one of them is Taos, New Mexico. Oh, aliens. Yes. <laughs> Maybe it's coming from Area 51. It might be. I don't know. I think we've got a conspiracy on our hands. I'm going to double check this as we're talking. I do like that theory a lot, but so you did, did you say that the area that they were hiking in was not one of the areas that, where those winds are known to occur? So they do think it's... Uh, oh, for the catabatic winds or for the Carmen yeah. Vortex Street? Both. Yeah, so both could happen at this site. Okay, okay. If it is, then I think that that's a very, very likely theory. I mean, it's difficult to explain the internal injuries, but like, there's really no theory that explains every detail. It just doesn't, nothing yeah. makes complete sense. Nothing makes complete sense. <laughs> nothing makes I, sense at all. I do think the military involvement theory feels closest. It does. It explains, like, more pieces of it than any other right. single theory. However, I just, I love the wind theory. The catabatic winds are just so interesting that there could all of a sudden be these super, super fast cold winds. Like, that's, that's fascinating. Yeah, that is incredibly interesting. And then the Carmen Vortex Street, just from, like, a psychology perspective, which I don't know a lot about, so forgive me for absolutely talking out of my ass here. That's what we're doing this whole time, Abby. It's okay. It's real. It's just... So fascinating. No, it is really interesting. I think that's, I mean, I'm so interested in the psychology of all of these cases, like any mystery or you know, either disappearance or murder. The psychology is, is, I think, what is most interesting to me. So that, I, the idea that something like that could happen that just changes something in people's brain chemistry so immediately. Yeah. And like with no trace of it happening i mean it's it's not as though like they took some chemical that changed things that you could track like that's just kind of insane that that is possible yeah i mean it does feel 
realistic. There are some like non-invasive wave and light treatments that are known to have pretty immediate impacts on the brain, not necessarily the human brain. I don't know if that's been studied super thoroughly in humans, mm. um, but I know there was like a, a brainwave treatment that's been tested on, I think, mice um, that used gamma light waves. The theory being that like forcing your brain into like gamma patterns would help you would help your brain synchronize into gamma waves and would help you, you know, do more critical thinking um, and more memory formation and other interesting things. Highly recommend reading that study or listening to the wonderful Radio Lab episode on it. Uh, it doesn't feel like, you know, totally unreasonable that there might be a special sound frequency that causes panic attacks if there oh, you know, are other frequencies known to impact the brain in such a way. Um, no, that seems incredible. That seems completely possible yeah. to me. Not and that maybe, I know a whole lot about psychology, but I, I do feel like I know a bit. Totally. I studied biology and I took a lot of neuroscience classes. So I th- I, that does seem yeah. plausible to me. Yeah. I studied biomedical engineering and I took neuroengineering as well as like intro to neuroscience. So if you wanted to ask me really pointed questions <laughs> about some neurological devices, particularly diagnostic devices, I You've got, got you. all the info. All, all might be a stretch. But I have a good got chunk. a good chunk of the info, <laughs> and I think that'll be very helpful in the course of this podcast. And I can tell you a lot about a lot about cells. <laughs> so that's perfect. We've we've got some very useful information here. I think that's perfect. Well, that is, is such a fascinating story, Abby. Continue. Isn't it what you interesting? Say? I was just going to say. In the end, we'll probably never know what happened. <laughs> that's it's so frustrating, but it's also like. I, I kind of don't want there to be one definitive answer because it's just so it's so fun to think about what might be. Yeah, it wouldn't it probably wouldn't be satisfying too. Like if it just confirmed like, yeah, you're right about the military theory, I would just right. be kind of bummed. But there's no one answer because we've talked about this before and I think we went through all of them and like in, in great detail. And I think that I also went back after and kind of went through all of them and tried to figure out like what one explained all of the, and there's just no theory that explains everything. There's always going to be some detail that just doesn't fit. So maybe it was a combo of them. That's the, that's interesting. Maybe there's some like serendipity that they would be victims of some sort of like aliens and also incredibly strong winds. The classic alien wind combo. Maybe the aliens caused now we're talking we've cracked it the yetis sent the aliens <laughs> let's combine all of them the yeti summoned the aliens and then blew on the mountains hard enough to make Which, wind sorry the yetis blew on the mountain or the aliens because this is important oh that's a good question um i was thinking the yetis but the aliens might make more sense I mean, we really don't know the okay, okay. of either of these beings so i think that's a good point i think the aliens <laughs> Blue on the mountains created the wind. And then the Yeti shouted at Carmen Vortex Street. Oh. Quincy. Because we haven't seen a Yeti, so we don't know what they're capable of. And we haven't seen a Yeti and the Carmen Vortex Street in the same place. (laughs) We also haven't seen Yetis and aliens in the same place. We haven't, and that ought to be resolved. I, I mean, really, what is the government doing if not trying to solve that? I don't know. I mean, finding Bigfoot is really out there doing the lord's work <laughs> there's nothing else that they should be focused on right now i would say no other problems no, i think it's the top priority <laughs> infectious is. disease don't need nope. it no nope. election fraud nope <laughs> i hope you mean lack of election fraud 
Listen, Natalie's about to reveal some really interesting out. politics to me. I don't know. People are like, the Democrats rigged the election, but like, why would we rig it this badly? It barely <laughs> went to us. If we were going to rig the election, don't you think we would have made it a landslide? Oh yeah, we would have Putin style. And we would have also the gotten election. this, like, we don't even have the Senate. Like, why would we rig it this hey, way? We don't know yet. Not, the Senate like, hasn't right. happened in Georgia. Why would we make it this close? <sighs> it's really upsetting. It's very upsetting. We don't have to cut this. No. I don't know. In the current climate, I, I think it's difficult to hide how we feel about these things. I think that with yeah. what we're talking about, with the law aspect, a lot of it is bound to come up anyway. So we may yeah, it's probably true. come out very strongly on one side of the spectrum. Well, we both definitely are. We so definitely. You're, one of us is going to do. College, so. <laughs> and I went to Brown. Yep. <laughs> the two most liberal schools in the country. Yeah, oh. probably. Yeah, honestly. Close, if not yeah. the most liberal. They battle it out for who is who's more liberal. Yeah. Well, that story was incredible, Abby. You did a really good job. Thank you. That storytelling you. was impeccable. And you're, I mean, you are one drink in. So, like, I'm very impressed with your ability to tell that story. Officially, one drink in. One drink might be a stretch because this, this, again was not measured and I'm pretty Actually, sure it was more than one you know maybe two drinks in but second drink second, second drink. drink are you ready if I can open this my I am still on my first drink but I am uh, this is perfect for me there we go beautiful did we get that audio I hope we did I hope so too we can cut this out but I might miss some stuff that we say that's like the only real risk here but we haven't no. said anything offensive no yeah but you're going to have some some heavy cutting to do, my friend. I'm excited. I This is not the exact same, but I used to do a lot of like video editing because I used to want to go into filmmaking. Mm. So this will be a fun return to that. Like every project we did in school that people would edit, I always wanted to do them. Why did we have so many video projects in high school? Yeah, I think that maybe like iMovie had just come out and people were really excited about it. <laughs> like finally that technology was in our hands and people went crazy with the power. That's the best theory I've ever heard. <laughs> I just remember senior year French, we had to do that video, uh, video CV. Yeah, mm-hmm. video CV. It was and it horrible. was awful. <laughs> I will say, like, I would never, ever send mine anywhere because they would laugh at it. But, you know, editing-wise and French-wise, I'm not not proud of it. So... It was incredible. Oh my god, I just didn't want to do it. So I was like, how do I make this fun and stupid? It was so so I made it me interviewing myself, as you remember. So it was like, you know, I basically like to think I was doing TikTok before it was cool. And I, like, I, would, I swapped oh into like god. a blazer for the one, and then I was in a, like a sweater in the other. And you know, one was a shot across a desk, and one was like oh, in was me in a incredible. chair. It was a cinematic masterpiece. It was not. And our teacher played it three times. <laughs> and she made us sit through that. And the whole time I was like, oh my God, no, 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 no. Once is enough. Watching your own video, hearing yourself speak French. Oh my God, it's, it's the worst thing in the world. And then having to do it more than once is just excruciating. I'd argue once is too many times. Once is too many times. It's real. Maybe that's why they did it, to prepare us for the real world. Because it's really thick in our skin. God, maybe. If, they, if so, they did a good job. They did. I feel like nothing phases me anymore. That's not true. Lots <laughs> phases me. Uh, 
Okay, nice. well, that, I think we're, I think this is going really well. I think so, too. I can't uh, wait for your story. Yeah, I shall I? get to I, sit back and drink now. Yeah, now you get to just enjoy. So I am pretty much a full drink in. That's and exciting. now I feel like I'm the right level of tipsy where I think I can tell the story, but, you know, there's a chance that I'm not going to do as well as I think I'm going to do because I think this is giving me a lot of confidence that maybe um, I don't deserve to have at this point about my storytelling abilities. So nice. let's, let's jump right into it. So I didn't know if we wanted to document where we got information. I will say most of this information is just kind of in my head because I have read about this so much in recent years and this story is from our hometown so we kind of experienced I don't have a lot of memory of the details of this as it was happening I think it happened in 2013 so we were 15 um 15 16 15 yeah so and I wasn't completely tuned in yeah, to 14, all the details 15, of this yeah 14 with 98 babies yeah Yes, 1415. So yeah, this happened in 2013. I remember hearing about it as it was happening, but I wasn't really tuned into, into the story and how it was developing. Yeah, I don't remember hearing much about it while it was happening. Yeah. I will say I would have thought we would have heard more because this is like huge news. Yeah, I'm, I'm shocked at how little yeah. we heard about it, to be perfectly honest. They may have just been, I don't know, the town... <laughs> yeah they may have just been like let's just let the kids be in high school and not worry about the darker things in life yeah um, but they neglected to know that people like you and I exist right maybe that's also part of it because if I had known about this I wouldn't have done my schoolwork I would have just been thinking <laughs> about this so love it you would have called the police station the I, I wouldn't do a FOIA request for the files hi <laughs> hey, I'm a police officer at another precinct. I, I need the I need these files. Okay, now that one's illegal, I'm pretty sure. That's for sure illegal. I'm, I'm very sure you cannot impersonate a police officer. Yeah, you definitely officer. can't. So please it's great try. that I didn't know about this story back then, because all bets are off. Because Natalie would be in federal prison. I would be in federal. I was a minor, so maybe not. Ah, true. Okay, good point, good point. There was a lot. Now, luckily... I don't have schoolwork anymore, so I can spend all of my time thinking about things like this other than my full-time job. Um, so I got, I mean, a lot of this information I have just kind of had in my head um, from past Wikipedia and Reddit binges, but there's an article from Medium by Kat Lee, which is pretty helpful and has kind of an overview of the story. There's a Wikipedia article, which is pretty all-encompassing kind of tells the story pretty well there are a lot of different there are articles on patch a lot of the ones from patch are by wendy mitchell um and there's there's a lot of information for something that happened in a pretty small town and is i guess is generally pretty low profile it's not like a huge crime patch is such a throwback patch isn't it <laughs> i, I forgot about patch since like 2012 god no if my that. mom wrote for patch briefly. really yeah that's such a flex <laughs> I don't think she would think of it as a flex. I kind of love that, though. Okay, I won't remind I her of it. I you could find her article somewhere. I don't even know. I don't know what they were on. But so Patch did a lot on this. Um, and then News Times did an article. Nancy. Oh, the Danbury News Times? Um, yes, I believe. Nice. Yeah. So there's a good amount of information. And then there's a Reddit thread 
under unresolved mysteries talking about this incident and people's theories about what happened. So this incident is the disappearance of Robert Hoagland. Um, he disappeared on July 28th in 2013 and he basically has not been seen since and no one really has any idea where he is. There are theories. Um, the official statement of the police is that the, you know, the two theories that they've been considering, but there's really no headway and no one theory that trumps the other are, the two theories are, you know, that there was some sort of foul play and he was either kidnapped or, you know, killed in some way where no one has found his body and there was no proof of any sort of altercation with anyone or he chose to leave his own life and has somehow managed to stay completely off the grid. I don't think, I think those are interesting, but my favorite theory uh, is much more interesting, and I will talk about that one a lot more. So, so fascinating. It's, I'm very excited. Such a mystery. <laughs> so, the day that he disappeared, he was living um, in Newtown, Connecticut, you know, pretty normal life. He was a chef. His wife, uh, Lori, was working as the culinary arts teacher um, at the high school. At our um, high school. At our high school. <laughs> And like, I saw her all the time and I just didn't, I mean, I did not, this was not at the top of my mind, like that her husband had disappeared. That's, yeah. can you imagine? I think my brother took culinary arts. I didn't, but yeah, I, I didn't. Did. But they did this thing where they would, maybe once a week, I don't know, I think it was once a week, they would have the culinary students make food and you could buy the food instead of getting the crappy cafeteria food. Yeah, and it was really good. I feel like that was like once a month. Maybe it was less often. I feel like it was pretty, it happened pretty seldomly, but. Yeah. And that was was so good. Interaction with her because she would be running that and she would say hi and chat with people. And she was lovely. And you would never have known, I mean, that this insane thing had been happening in her life and probably was still very much at the forefront of her mind because there's been no sighting of her husband. So, uh, Lori when this happened was 52 Robert Hoagland, who was nicknamed Hoagie. Um, I'm not going to call him Hoagie because I will not be able to do it with a straight face. And I don't want to laugh at his disappearance. So reasonable. Hoagie Robert uh, had been a professional chef, but had kind of left that life behind in recent years because he wanted to spend more time with his family. This is conjecture or words from the family obviously we have not heard this directly from him but um he had become self-employed real estate appraiser and he was also doing some part-time work at a friend's law firm apparently um but definitely kind of a family man and so they have three sons uh chris hoagland at the time of the disappearance was 26 this is 2013 sam was 22 and max who was 24 and There had been in recent months some stress with the brother Max. There had been some drug issues with the one son, um, which I will say is not unheard of in Newtown. Like, I don't know the details and it's difficult to figure out exactly what drug issues means, but I figure it's probably not something that's super crazy for Newtown because there were a lot of drug issues. Um, He's, yeah. In the 20s, it's not unheard of. It's right. pretty common in the town. I don't know so, what substances it yeah. was, but like... I don't know either, but I, 
I mean, I would guess it's not, it's not like heroin because I feel like that would be more, you know, probably more documented here. I, I, this is just me guessing. Yeah. Um, so there had been some issues with this whole realm in the weeks before the disappearance. Two of the family's laptop computers were stolen in the week before he had disappeared. And apparently Robert was under the impression that Max had taken them to either sell them or exchange them in order to get drugs um, and mm. had been corresponding with his wife, who at the time of his disappearance was traveling in Turkey um, on more than two week trips. So she'd been gone for a while, but they'd been corresponding via email and discussing this situation. And Robert had apparently apologized for letting this happen with the laptops. And there was, there's been documentation of some exchange at an abandoned building in Bridgeport, um, which is a town not so very close away from Newtown, you know, with, it's more urban. There's, there's, it's hard to get uh, less urban than Newtown anywhere. Right. Newtown is the least urban place in the world. Like it's just, that that might be a bit of a stretch, but you know, a lot of, a lot of rolling fields and right. A lot of very kind of rural. Um, Rolling fields I mean, might be a stretch, but there's like farms near me, and yeah, I, I feel like I view them as rolling fields. No, they are. I'd say rolling Particularly is a good adjective. Rio too. There's acres. Oh my god, rolling. Yeah. Um, now we're thinking so, about ice cream. I know. I uh, God, that sounds really good. <laughs> so Bridgeport, you know, there are wonderful areas of Bridgeport. It's a city. Um, there are also poor areas of Bridgeport. Um, so it's anyway, a city. It's, it's, it's like a city. city. Right. It's a city. I live in New York. It is a city. Um, <laughs> so that was this exchange about a week before the disappearance. And um, I believe they did get those laptops back, but that oh, is not confirmed. So that's some of the background. Otherwise, you know, generally it's, they seemed like a cohesive, pretty normal family. I mean, as what is normal, but yeah. Um, there had been, and this is a little difficult to find a lot of information about, but the couple had, Robert and Lori had separated for two years at some point in their relationship. It, it's not clear when, but they had reconciled and they were back together at this point. It's good. Um, and obviously no one, you know, really knows what it's like inside of their marriage except for the two of them. But oh, really? um, they seemed stable. Um yeah good for them for like reconciling and working things right? out like yeah that's you know if you need to be apart that's obviously fine and normal too but like right impressive that you can like find ways to grow together again like that seems pretty stable yeah. it does it's pretty impressive especially I mean I think a lot of times when families are having issues like this family seems to have been having with one of the sons having some difficulty with drugs and having this whole incident with the computers being stolen, like that is a difficult thing to mm-hmm. go through as a family and as a couple. So, you know, that's, I think sometimes things like that can tear people apart and it's good that it seems like that was not the case. Sure. And um, I can also, I can imagine that people probably looked at this case and were like, oh, I, why was she in Turkey alone? Why weren't they traveling right. as a family or a couple or whatever? But like, also it, it's, pretty incredible if they had the self-awareness to know like this was something she wanted to do and right you know, she was going to like she wanted to have this experience and maybe he didn't want to join or you know for whatever reason she likes traveling alone like having that yeah. self-awareness and capability does seem 
good. It does. I think it's that seems healthy. I will say I am not married. <laughs> Neither of us are. But that does seem like something that's, you know, that is important in a relationship. Um, And, you know, it could have been like a work trip for her. Um, I don't know, some sort of, they were both chefs. They weren't actively working restaurants, but she could have been doing some sort of culinary excursion in Turkey. Um, Yeah. So that is the background. So on the morning of July um, 28th, Lori is still gone. They had, Robert and Lori had spoken on the phone the evening before. They had created a plan for him to pick her up at JFK airport um, on the 29th when she'd returned from her trip. So 27th, they talk, they make this plan um, and they expect, or she expects to see him two days later, July 28th in the morning. uh, Robert Hoagland leaves his house. He goes in his Volkswagen Golf to buy bagels um, at a local bakery, at Bagel Man. <laughs> Wait, where'd um, you Bagel Delight. Okay, yeah. yeah. It used I was... to be Bagel Man, I feel like. I always call it Bagel Something Man. like that. Oh, really? Um, I always call it Bagel Delight. Best um, bagels. <laughs> if anyone is in Connecticut and needs a good bagel, go to Bagel Delight in Newtown, Connecticut. They are the best bagels. Although I'm going to be a real snob right now. I apologize. <laughs> you live in New York. <laughs> My family's allowed from to be New a bagel York. snob. <laughs> They're all New York Jews. We all have very strong bagel opinions. <laughs> so I will say, New York I mean, bagels. I love but, a good New York bagel, but like, if you're looking for a bagel in Connecticut, you're not going to find right. a better one. No, no, that's true. Those are incredible bagels. And you get Eunice. I mean, yeah. Oh my God, she's the best. <laughs> she's great. Wasn't she podcast. like voted person of the year in town? I think she was. I think they created like a person of the year thing <laughs> in the newspaper her. for her. I, I buy that. She's lovely. Of course. She's great. Let's get her on. Tip Eunice a lot of money when you go get bagels Eunice from her. a lot of money. Tell her, tell her we sent you. <laughs> We're, this is the one point of the podcast to drum up business for Bagel Delight. This is not a paid sponsorship. This is not, <laughs> not sponsored. This is us just genuinely talking about we how much we like bagels. bagels. Get prepared so for our spinoff podcast. Bagels. Bagels and something else about murder. <laughs> bagels and uh, bodies. Oh! Why <laughs> <laughs> wasn't it that easy to come up with the first thing? I don't know. <laughs> I, but I feel like this is the perfect, like, next podcast where, like, yeah. you know, we're drinking on a, on a Saturday night or oh. whatever, and then you're recovering Sunday morning. Sunday morning with bagels. Bagels and bodies. Oh, great. <laughs> perfect. Our second podcast. Wow. Great. Okay, it's real quick, the, what's your order from Bagel Delight? I feel like our listeners. My order now. is a multi-grain bagel with olive cream cheese. Interesting. It's oh. my absolute favorite. That's so interesting. I feel Just like so I, everyone knows the multi-grain bagels are spectacular. They she are makes really a really mean multi-grain bagel. Like it's just so good. They're the they're I think they're the best multi-grain bagels. I are. And like the texture of them is just so pleasant. So I, I prefer them to normal to like any other normal bagel, pretty much. Yeah. And then oh, incredible. the olive cream cheese is just the perfect balance of olives and cream cheese. They're green olives. It's perfectly salty. The texture is spectacular. It's thick, creamy cream cheese. I have to try it. I've never had olive cream cheese. It's everything you want out of life. Wow. Okay. Let's. I'm going home this weekend. Got to get some olive cream cheese. <laughs> you really do. This I, is what's happening. Really delicious. Wonderful. What's your order? 
Okay, so I guess it depends on my mood, but my bagel order in general is if they have multigrain everything, I like multigrain everything, but sometimes they don't have that. So I'll do an everything or a multigrain, depends on my mood, but I love an everything bagel with regular cream cheese and lox and tomato. Nice. That's a great order. It's can't go wrong. Yeah, very hard to go wrong. Anyway, so that was a long tangent about bagels, but it was very important. Um, critical. Critical. So... He stops to buy bagels this morning of July 28th. This is early in the morning. It's like before 7 um, a.m. He then goes to the mobile station to get gas. And afterwards, they went and checked the security camera footage because this is one of the last places he was seen. And he's placed there at 6.45 a.m. And he's seen buying a map of the eastern United States. And that is the last like, photo evidence of him anywhere. That's so fascinating. It's really crazy. Just wait. So he returns home that morning. Um, I believe the Sun Max 24 is the only one home. They have breakfast. Apparently he played um, online Scrabble for a little while. Robert did. I would love to know how they, who came forward and was like, I played Scrabble with him that morning. (laughs) He, (laughs) triple letter score. It's really upsetting. Um, Then around 10 or 11 a.m., Robert went out to mow the lawn, and Max went out within that time, um, took the Volkswagen Golf, told his father he'd be back a few hours later. They said goodbye. A neighbor later detailed this interaction because someone obviously witnessed this happening because Newtown is a very small town and people people talk. You know, people talk. People are spying on their neighbors. Um, in a kind, friendly, in a kind, way. friendly way. I, it's fun. <laughs> There's not a lot to do. So this was the last, Max was the last person who saw Robert alive. You know, at this point, we really have no idea what happened to him. But things, the more details you hear about this, the weirder it gets. So after this interaction with Max, his wife, Lori, gets back the next day. She is not greeted by her husband at the airport like they had planned. So she calls a relative in Brooklyn to pick her up. And that's when she calls Robert's work and realizes that no one has seen him in basically 24 hours. And that's when she starts to realize that something is off. So the last sighting of him, the last morning that he was seen, uh, he was wearing a white t-shirt, khaki shorts, and his loafers that apparently he always wore. But he did return home after his trip to the gas station where he was documented to be wearing all of that. And, you know, upon his wife returning and obviously the police investigated the house and, you know, looked for any sign of where he could have gone, his loafers were there. No shoes were missing. So everything was in its place. Nothing was gone that, you know, you'd think if he did walk away from his life on purpose, Like his passport was in the house. His keys were in the house. His car was there. None of the things that you think someone would take if they wanted to create a new life for themselves elsewhere or get anywhere far from where they had started. How far can you get on foot? Like that's without shoes. Um, And his laundry was running, which seems like a strange thing to do if you are planning to up and leave. Yeah. So his car is left behind, his cell phone is left behind, his blood pressure medication is left behind. I mean, I don't know, if you take meds for high blood pressure, it's just to like, I I, I think often it's just, yeah, to make it better. Yeah. It's not, 
I don't think it's typically it's like a life and death. Yeah. Just to kind of manage the situation. I mean, I guess that yeah. is probably true, but that's, that's kind of one of the theories is that he left without it. It's still very odd. Happened. It's very odd. Um, I mean, maybe it is a life and death medication. I don't know, but I, I think those blood pressure medications aren't life and death. It may depend on the case, but it, I think yeah. you're probably right that most of the time it's kind of just a managing the yeah. situation. And maybe his was different. I, I have no idea. I just, well, I, I, I'm going based on what I know about typical cases. I think, I think you're right. So that's, you know, kind of strange. And then definitely in the week or so after he disappeared, they couldn't find his wallet. So they were thinking, okay, seems like maybe he did kind of walk away because if he had his wallet on him, you could at least get somewhat far, even without like a passport or your phone or your keys. You've got some money, you've got some form of ID. But 10 days after his disappearance, the police found his wallet on a chair in his and Lori's bedroom hidden underneath a doll. This is the creepiest part for me because... I mean, what is the thought process there? Like, if he left it there, that's just a... It's a very creepy thing to imagine someone doing before they disappear completely. Totally. Um, why I like hide that it one bit. <laughs> when everything else is in its place? Like, normally nothing else is hidden. Um, very strange. That's the detail yeah. that spooks me the most, but also yeah. the one that is most fascinating. Yeah, um, that's really weird. On his work computer, when they searched that, they found that he'd searched multiple times for an address in Rhode Island, but there was no connection found between him and that address. Um, and obviously they investigated the address and like he wasn't found there. There was no connection found. So Rhode then, Island. Oh yeah, Abby's in Rhode Island. I am indeed. It was Brown University. He was trying to apply for graduate <laughs> programs. That's the decision. That would be a wild twist. <laughs> He's been living with Brown this whole time. And then a similar search was on his home computer, but... I guess the searches weren't going through because of a program that he apparently himself had installed a month before his disappearance. The searches weren't documented because oh. uh, this program he'd installed had allowed for, but was using it to delete every record of their searches. Um, so it was like a, an incognito. Yeah. But like, I guess maybe they didn't have incognito. Out incognito. Yeah. Right. Cause really, I guess, even if you're in incognito mode, you can still find what someone's doing. But maybe this was a more permanent way of deleting. Yeah. Um, Interesting. So that's very strange. There have been a few sightings. Alleged sightings? Said, yes, alleged sightings of him. I don't think either of these seem like they're him. There are, there's one like really blurry photo, but it doesn't look like him. Because there's a very, I mean, there are clear photos of him on the internet. And it's also strange to me that like, if they, if this were a sighting, it seems like it would not be that easy for him to completely disappear after being sighted multiple times if it actually were him. Yeah. So he was apparently sighted in Rhode Island September 18th of 2013. So that was a few months after his disappearance, but that did not go anywhere. He was again sighted apparently exactly a year later, July 28th. Apparently someone matching his appearance was visiting um, a correctional facility and he was reported walking into the jail, but that also did not pan out. Um, Where was the facility? Uh, Putnam County Correctional Facility. Interesting. None of it makes sense. Like, nope. There's no, I mean, you would think that if they had found some connection between Robert and someone in that correctional facility, they would have 
documented that, but it doesn't seem like there's any connection. Also, you would imagine they check the IDs of people who walk into right. I mean, maybe facilities. Like, you'd think you'd need an ID because I guess yeah. he didn't have his passport. He didn't have any ID, though, it seems, because he left his wallet at home. He left his passport. Yeah. I so, mean, like, maybe he got a really good dupe, a really good fake. Yeah. No one expects, like, a 50-year-old to have a fake. They just take that face value. Okay. So that's... I mean, maybe. I'm just... It is possible. The one last strange detail is that on July 25th, so that was three days before he disappeared, $600 was withdrawn from one of the family's bank accounts. That $600 was not accounted for, and it's also, right, it's not enough if you're planning to completely get up and leave. It's also too much for it to be, like, a normal withdrawal. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a very strange amount. Um, Yeah. So now I'll get to the theories. And, you know, obviously... I have an idea. Could be yes. six hundred dollars that had something to do with trying to recover the laptops. So that is one of the theories about the six hundred dollars, okay. and I think that's the most plausible theory. And honestly, it could, it honestly could have been one of the sons. It, it could have been Max, maybe, in an effort to like to get back the laptops that he had allegedly gotten tangled up in some drug activity. So that does seem like a plausible idea, because six hundred dollars is not a lot to go on if you're planning on starting an entirely new life but it is i think a plausible amount if you're trying to do some sort of transaction to get back some stolen laptops yeah yeah Um, that feels like it could be reasonable yeah that is definitely reasonable not as interesting as the other (laughs) no no but it's it is plausible and that's i think that this is another case where the plausible theories are not as interesting but really nothing completely fits here either in in my opinion so the police have you know their official statement is that they believe it's either he willingly decided to leave his life and go completely off the grid and start a new life elsewhere that seems I mean it seems like it'd be very difficult to completely stay off the grid especially when you don't have money or an ID or a car yeah Um, like, you can't get that far. I guess you could hitchhike, but they did begin searching, like, the woods and all of the surrounding areas um, in the town. And I think this was a statewide manhunt for quite a while, trying to wow. find him. And nothing. So I just don't understand how a person can disappear completely. Yeah, it's um, crazy. So that's one theory. The other theory is foul play. You know, if maybe someone kidnapped him. Maybe he was being blackmailed or something could be related to the drug activity but it also that could be plausible if you were from a city but i think that in newtown uh drug activity leading to some sort of actual disappearance seems very unlikely because although there is drug activity it's not like yeah it's not that intense um that also seems kind of unlikely yeah i would agree so that i mean that one i guess either of those are possible and they do, in some articles, cite like the previous separation between Lori and Robert as evidence that he might have just decided to leave. But that seems more unlikely to me because of the separation. Because if he had wanted to separate, clearly it had been fine before. Like, yeah, they could have just done it again. So the theory that I like, that is, you I know, can't wait. Admittedly unlikely, but also 
to me it seems to fit because to me it seems like the details kind of fall into place with this one because it is just such a strange idea that kind of I think anything could could fit into this I don't know if Abby you know what a fugue state is I do indeed we've we've discussed this before so I as I said I'm very interested in psychology and when I first started researching the story a few years ago I think I was in a psychology class and we had just read about fugue states and I was kind of like oh my god this seems like it fits um so a fugue state is this phenomenon which I think is is pretty rare it has been documented but you know obviously this does not happen often it's a condition where an individual wanders away from their life their home their place of work for periods of time could be hours could be days could be weeks or months and seems to have completely forgotten like who they are the details of their life and this happens seemingly out of nowhere kind of similar to like dissociation often this is caused by some sort of extreme emotional distress or like trauma it's often called dissociative fugue so they i guess are completely cut off from their sense of themselves or their you know their purpose their life their responsibilities and people can be in this state for months at a time there are documented cases where people snap into this state and then out of nowhere kind of come out of it and remember their previous life and who they are so i think this oh. is fascinating and although it's rare i think that this kind of makes sense of everything because to me the behavior like the hiding his wallet under a doll is very strange behavior and i think to me that points to some sort of psychological break happening if he were the one responsible for that like him just leaving the laundry in the dryer in the washer yeah it's not been documented whether it was in the washer or dryer but uh, <laughs> i like the speculation the thank you just the leaving things exactly as they were not tying mm-hmm. up loose ends leaving everything behind and just wandering away seems like some sort of psychological break happened and you know he d- didn't tie up any loose ends because he had no memory of any loose ends to be tied up so that is my so favorite theory <laughs> i love that theory so my only thought is that he was in a fugue state like someone and he stayed nearby or he just wandered, someone probably would have recognized him. That's my, my only qualm with right. that theory. Because, like, he's, it seems like he wanted to disappear because he's never right. been found. Um, or right. foul play or anything, right. whatever. Or someone wanted him to disappear. Exactly, exactly. Um, whereas I, I, I find it a little tougher to believe that in a, in a fugue state, mm. you could yeah. just conceivably disappear however the theory is so interesting and i love it and maybe like he was convincing me in the feed state and people said who are you and he said you know i don't i don't know and right you know yeah that was enough maybe he wandered just far away enough before people started to ask questions i will say i i think that the timing works out so that his son max left he may not have thought anything of it that his father wasn't there when he got back. I'm not sure exactly when he got back, but his wife, who I think would have been the one to notice that he wasn't there and take action sooner was gone until at least 24 hours later out of the country. And I think, you know, no one else was really around to notice. I don't think so. He could have gotten pretty far, I think in 24 hours without someone noticing if he 
stayed out of like public places in the town. That's my one thought. Like if he was yeah. just wandering down like Main Street, someone would notice. Right. If he was just like, you know, had found his way to 84, someone would notice. Right. I mean, maybe he found his way to the highway and hitchhiked um, maybe. and was able to get far away enough. Or, or maybe he just found his way to a gas station and hitchhiked or like Fair. near a highway exit. Like I totally, right. I think it's completely plausible and I love the theory. It's so interesting and like so much more interesting than any of the others and does explain a lot more than any of the others. Right. That's my, and my only like, huh. No, it is a good, wow. it's a good point. I think the one question that I have is, so usually when the onset of a fugue state, there's some catalyst for it, usually some high stress event or some trauma. And I, I don't know that it, I should check my facts, but I don't, I think it's possible that the trauma, it doesn't have to be directly preceding the event, like the same day, the same week. Um, it could be trauma that someone has not been aware of or just not focusing on. And then it kind of resurfaces people have speculated on this Reddit thread that maybe there was a more traumatic situation going on with his son um, and something had happened in the days before his disappearance that would be considered a traumatic event and caused him to go into this fugue state. Unfortunately, we really will never know with this one either. Unless he's found. Unless he's found, but it's been seven years. Yeah. I mean, this one feels recent enough, like, yeah, seven years, he's, what, almost 60? Like, Yeah, he's almost 60. You know, but it might it's happen. Possible. We might find him. Yeah, but I feel, I think you're right. Like, if you're gone for seven years without a trace, you don't want to be found or... Or someone didn't want you to be found. Or someone didn't want you to be found. And I will say... Or so your the brain fam- didn't want you to be found. Or your brain didn't want you to be found. <laughs> I mean, the family has said a bit about this, um, and they've said different things and there was one interview where Lori said that she she would guess at this point that someone will find his body someday because she was thinking that it's really hard to stay hidden for this long that's so sad Um, it's very sad but I I hold out hope that that is not what happened maybe he will be reunited with his family yeah Um, but until that day it remains a mystery that's a great one Fun that it's like from our town. Less fun no. for whoever's listening who's not from that town, who does not yes. appreciate yeah. our bagel rant. <laughs> but um, the good thing is now you know where to get bagels in Connecticut. So it's real. It's real. <laughs> it is a problem, and that's the solution. That is the solution. Yeah. But yeah, that was so interesting and very well told. Immaculate storytelling. Despite the alcohol, we did a great job. I think this was a very successful. Cheers. How far into the second drink did you get, Abby? Oh, I like halfway. Okay. Respectable. Mm-hmm. Still making progress on it. Good. I really hope you can't hear me swallowing. <laughs> I haven't been able to. Great. We'll see if the audio picks it up. Fantastic. In <laughs> which case, I don't know how we solve that later, but... Uh, we just go with it. We're all human here. Perfect. As far as we know. And the aliens come back around. Or the Yetis. And the, yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> Are you a Yeti or an alien? That's like a... It's a fun personality quiz. The next BuzzFeed quiz is... Are you a Yeti or an alien? Pick which cheese you like and we'll tell you if you're a Yeti or an alien. Tell us what Netflix original series you like and we'll tell you whether you're a Yeti or an alien. Mm-hmm. Or select your favorite Yeti and alien photos and we'll tell you which Netflix original series you should watch. 
it could really go either way. It really could. I think based on this, BuzzFeed should hire both of us. I think so too. Let's quit our jobs and work at BuzzFeed. That's a bad idea. We're going to be very successful. You know, we've got the, we've got one episode of this podcast down. That's got true. It in the bag. Got it in the bag. Hopefully many more to come. And thank you to all seven listeners who made it this far. Yeah. Oh, seven. So we're seven. up from four. We're up from four. Who have we gained? I don't know. Who do you think in your life realistically will listen to this podcast? Three randos. Who in my life realistically would listen to this? That's a good question. <laughs> Who in my life would realistically listen to the first 10 minutes? Oh, yeah. I can think of quite a few. Who would stick yeah, through too. it? I just, not enough people love true crime the way that we do. Well, yeah, I'm struggling Successively to and problematically. You know who listen to this podcast? My friend Astrid. I believe she will. Nice. If oh, that's a call out end. right at the end. <laughs> Astrid, if you didn't make it this far. You didn't make it this far. Well, she won't know. Natalie's coming for you. <laughs> yep. Oh my God. That's the one I think. So that, there you go. We yeah, gained one. a person there. I, I, you know, I think if I send it to my grandma, she'd listen. Oh. Which is sweet. like, she would. She wouldn't get it. Would she enjoy it? She wouldn't get it, but she'd listen. Uh, very sweet. I can definitely think of enough people. I, you know, I, I definitely have a couple more people interested in true crime. I could, I could find us. I can, I can wrestle up three more Good. listeners. So the first four are pretty much coming from way. you. So this, okay, I can, yeah, I can I handle it. three. Oh boy. Okay. <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> no, you got two. Your sister and your mom. Yeah, definitely. I don't think Sophia is going to listen to this whole episode, but maybe she will. She's very busy. If she does, I feel bad. <laughs> Hey, Sophia, sorry. Maybe I'll cut this out. <laughs> Maybe. We'll see. Well, there might be a lot you have to cut out. There might be. Or I know. it might just be chaos and all of it makes it in. Perfect. Now, how do we end a podcast? Yeah, that's a good question. I feel like ending a podcast is the equivalent of, like, I don't know what to do with my hands and pictures. Right now, it's just like, what do I do? So what do you do with your hands and pictures? And maybe that'll tell us what to do at the end of this podcast. Yeah, so cheers to crime. Cheers. Hang on, I'll clink my tissues. Cheers to crime. <laughs> cheers to cheers mysteries. To mysteries. That does not make a satisfying clink. So yeah, cheers. This cheers was to mysteries. Very interesting. Cheers to mysteries. Um, I am looking forward to the next one. I am too. And next it. time, the mysteries we pick might be mysteries to each other. So yeah. I think that they will be because this one, this was my main mystery that I had, that I had ready to go. So. Oh, I've got more in store. <laughs> I'm, I'm ready to so roll. Oh my God. Abby is nothing if not prepared. Two <laughs> drinks ready to go. Mysteries ready to go. go. I am flying by the seat of my pants. <laughs> I mean, so am I. <laughs> and that's the way I like it. I'm flying by the seat of my pants with alcohol. <laughs> ready to go. <laughs> It just makes it more quick mm-hmm. or accelerating by the seat for a pants. You can tell that I'm like, I, you can tell that I have finished my drink at this point. You can. I definitely have larger tolerance than you do. It's, I mean, that's a very low bar. I have the tolerance of a child. Well, I, hopefully children are not <laughs> drinking. Catholic children are. What? Oh, Catholic children are. But yeah, yeah, Catholic children are drinking a sip at mass, and then the priest wipes the cup and turns it and hands it to the next Catholic child. Oh my god, they they use the same cup? Oh yeah. That's a disaster in our current climate. 
I mean, they're not doing that right now, certainly. Are they ever going to go back? I mean, I hope not. You, like, think you only different. ever do it for First Communion. Okay. No one ever drinks the wine after First Communion. If you do, instant psychopath. <laughs> That's a mystery. What's the correlation between psychopathy and drinking out of the wine? I would be willing to bet very high. Very high. I would also be willing to bet. So cheers to mysteries. Cheers to mysteries. And we will thanks be back. listening. Yes, thanks for listening. Um, to all of you seven people who did, we mm-hmm. appreciate you a lot. And we'll be back with more mysteries and more mixology. <laughs> Hope to see you and drink with you again soon. <laughs>